Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Confessional Podcast. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined, as always, by our producer from the Live from the Studio Podcast, Jimmy Seleski. How are you? Trusty producer. I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. It's been a while. Now, Jimmy, if people want to find the Confessional, if they'd like to contribute to the Confessional, how would one go about doing that? If they were to want to do that... For some reason. Yeah, for some reason. You can find us on Spotify. Uh, well, you can find us on Facebook to submit your confessions at Confessional Podcast. Michael usually posts a topic, and you guys can kind of throw in your own little things there. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify. I believe we're on Apple Podcasts as well, your podcast oh, yeah. app on iPhone. Just any any major mainstream platform, Confessional Podcast across the board. Excellent. You've been playing out more, Jimmy? Yeah, actually, I have three gigs this weekend. Don't tell unemployment, but yes, I have them. <laughs> I'm playing at the I backyard won't. tonight. And now our guest today, unemployment. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Now, our co-host for today is, of course, the wonderful Sue Werner. How are you, Sue? Uh, I've never been better. Sue, how's, uh, how's the band doing? Uh, I think I still remember how to play the songs, like sort of. Right. You know, we haven't right. we haven't like practiced uh, since March. Yeah, or no, so. I, I pulled out um, your bass the other day, and you were like, "What is that? A frying pan?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we've been doing stuff. We had a new we got a new record coming out on Bridge Nine Excellent. on October thirtieth, I believe, is the street date. We have a single already that should be available on YouTube and all of that. Called yeah, Wonderful yeah. Hell. Yeah. And how's the single doing? It seems like it's getting around there. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I yeah, it's hard to tell these like, days. Like, like, like climbing the charts, is... you know. I mean, I don't, I don't think we've gotten of the YouTube comments. Only one was super mean. So uh, you know, yeah, that's how you measure singles yeah. these days. Instead of chart level, it's just like how many people were nasty on on YouTube. I just hope we get to play a show again someday. Absolutely, I'm sure you will, uh, Sue. I cannot believe who we have as a guest today Me on the neither. podcast. I'm so this gentleman, he was was he not the coolest MTV VJ back in the day? He he was he was the fans VJ, right? Um so we me we go back a little further than that because I listened to him on the radio. Right. Before in that Jersey, he, was, he was a radio DJ. And he was the fans radio yeah. DJ. He, he's the, the music guy who knows the behind-the-scenes stuff, right? He, he would give you the, the cool details. And, uh, and you have known him for what, decades? Uh, something like that. Will you please welcome to the confessional, Mr. Matt Pinfield. Matt? Hey, guys. How are you? Thank you so much for coming hey, by. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, uh, yes, yeah, Sue, that's amazing. You listen to... Uh, 106.3. Where were you down? Were you down? Were you living down the shore then? No, no, no. I was living in North Brunswick. You know. Oh, this. so you were living, you know, in the town right next to me. Yeah, and you know, Matt. Yeah. You, Matt, you know this. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I know. I do know that, which is amazing. I keep forgetting that you were in North Brunswick. It it blows me away. You know, um, how many people are from Jersey anyway? But you know, that area where you and I are from was a really great, rich area for music. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought. Totally you know? agree. I think it was like the coolest music scene to kind of grow up in right you know plus you're right by philly and new york you can go to see pretty much any any band you know that comes through you can you can probably take a train up to new york or whatever to go see them you know and uh and a lot of bands would come through and play like the melody on a sunday or something um yeah uh, which was like the absolute best you know um oh yeah i mean i love the melody i miss it very much you know it's funny believe it or not i have a Someone made me a like a model size melody that they constructed <laughs> that's on the shelf over here in my living room. Oh, uh-huh. can we see it's it? It's actually, um, I don't know if you can see it over all, there. All of our listeners at home, like, if you look uh, at the... It's weird, weird <laughs> but you can kind of recognize it from there. Can you see that cool, at all? Cool, cool. Uh, like not really, but not that's really, okay. But that's a melody. Right. I mean, there's so much shit over there. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, it's great. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was like pictures of... Uh, you know, my, my daughter and my, fa- my my late father and but just a bunch of other oh, stuff. Nice. But um it's uh 
And I have two daughters, by the way. But um, yeah, there's somebody made me this miniature melody that actually lights up inside. That's and amazing. When you take the top off it, it's constructed like the melody in the dance floor. In the oh, bar, that's and the so DJ cool. Booth. Pretty amazing, really. And it was a beautiful gift from someone. I, For people I that cool. aren't from central New Jersey, uh, the Melody Bar is just a, a legendary, like, small club nice. in New Brunswick. Nice. And uh, it's where I played some of my first cool shows. It's where I yeah. saw some of my first cool shows. There's actually, I don't know if this person, like, had made two scale models of the Melody, because there's also was one in the Court Tavern. Whoa. Which is another, like, legendary little club. Oh, um, of the melody, you mean, yeah, right? Yeah, of the melody. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think she probably made that one as well. Yeah. It was a woman who sent it to me. And I, she sent it to me. I ran into her when I was, you know, when, I, my, when my, we first released my book, you know. And I, mm -hmm. I read a book in 2015. It came out in 2016, which just got re-released during the pandemic. Called all, thing, all These Things That I've Done, My Insane, Improbable Rock Life. Yes, which is a book that, uh, you know, it's named after the killer song that they uh, wrote. About yes. me the night that Brandon Flowers met me. And yeah, which you did the intro. Didn't you do, uh, or they, they did the intro for your book, right? Didn't they write uh, well, a... Um, no, uh, but they talked about, there's a bunch of stories oh, okay. in there about it. But okay. it's pretty, I think Billy Corgan did, like, there was something about that Billy did in there. But I mean, you know, uh, the melody for me, uh, and Sue, you know, this was just like a big part of my life because I was doing college radio at Rutgers University and... <laughs> Um, I went to see a band play um, with a guy now, Tony Shanahan, who's part of Patti Smith's group. And mm. he's probably the youngest member of Patti Smith's group. Um, and he was friends with Lenny Kay, who was also from New Brunswick, who was in Patti Smith's group. But they were in a band, they were called the Boogles. It's a pretty bad name, actually. <laughs> but, um, uh, well, I would play their single, their independent single, on the Rutgers radio station. And I knew a girl, a young woman who... I think went to college in like Philly, but she was a manager of a record store called Crazy Eddie's, which was like a Crazy Eddie's. Store. Remember Crazy Eddie's? They were, insane. The are insane. <laughs> so much so. Back then when <laughs> mental illness was a selling point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know. I'm so insane. Said, you can rip me off. Go. Oh, go ahead. What were you Sorry, I, was, I was doing. You, you, go ahead. <laughs> I'm done. No, with my you know, I was just saying it was funny because the melody. I ended up going there by accident because the woman who was the manager of the record store who used to give me import albums for like 50 cents and a dollar. Nice. I'd walk up, I, I, bring, I brought up a few one day and she goes, $1.25. And I'm like, no. Wait a minute. These are like $50 worth of records. You know, I'm, you know, I'm working a part-time job. I'm a, you know, teenage kid. I'm like, okay. And then I tried again next time. She's like, 275. And it's like wow. 10 imports, like XTC and the damn, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I realize now that she's going to give me my records for almost nothing. Wow. So I come up with a bigger stack every single time I go <laughs> into the Yetis. And, um, which is amazing for a kid in college. Cause I mean, really, really, what do you want to spend Absolutely. your money on? Just records, uh, drinking and, uh, whatever and gas money for your car. <laughs> and, right. um, I remember, uh, that she goes, Oh, you got, I'm in love with this guy and you got to go see his band. They're playing at this place called the melody. So I go to the show and then I go back and I see them. And I think I got up and did David Bowie's Hang On To Yourself from Ziggy Stardust with them. Um, and I remember talking to the owners and they, were, they would always play nothing but Motown. And I go, I go, how you, how you doing? I go, they go, you're on a local radio station, the, the car station. I go, yeah. I go, you know, you guys need to play. There's so much cool new music out. You guys. And this was in that period. It was like punk, post-punk. Um, new wave. And I was like, you guys, there's too much good music. I mean, the Motown's great and all, but you know, there's sure. so much cooler shit you could be playing. And um, they go, why don't you start making us tapes? We'll pay you 20 bucks for them. Oh, so I was making these best nine minute tapes. How cool is <laughs> that? Everybody, everybody stole them. And then eventually they go, they realized I was DJing at a place on Route 18 in a town called East Brunswick where I grew up. And it was called Charlie's Uncle. And it was New Wave Night with Matt Pinfield. And the rest <laughs> of the nights was a guy named Richie Zambora, who, of course, Richie. you know from Bon Jovi. Huh. He was a, a solo <laughs> So it was me and him were the entertainment. That's and so it was funny. Yeah. That's so awesome. it was really funny. So eventually they go, hey, why don't you bring your turntables here? So at the Melody, there used to be a kitchen. So I used to like on the cutting board in the kitchen, I would set up my 1,200 Whoa. turntables and spin <laughs> records. Did he? <laughs> the PA. And eventually they built the DJ booth. Nice. The rest of the history. But did, it was a great venue. Did he do his whoa, 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 whoa microphone while you were DJing? Yeah. 
The talk yeah. box. Yeah, the yeah, talk no, box. He didn't, I, don't, I don't think he owned one yet. Uh-huh. He probably was listening to Peter Frampton. The only only Peter Frampton had right, access right. to that. There's only point. one. They yeah. just pass it. Someone else gets it every every decade. <laughs> yeah, every decade someone gets it for <laughs> the next record. Yep. Um, I feel like a lot of a lot of the punk venues I've played at would be really easy to make scale models of. You know, I just take like a, a, a shoebox and, and draw a bunch of crap on the walls, and yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much it. It would look like, you know, People laugh about C- you know. Doesn't it doesn't it make you guys wonder when there's something called a CBGB's cafe in uh, Newark Airport? Uh, I mean, it, there's everything's wrong about it. The fact that it's in Newark, and then yeah. also, and no disrespect to Newark because it's got the greatest Portuguese food in the world, and you know the area, the Ironbound, and a lot of history. But I mean, the fact that there's a CBGB's cafe. I mean, you wouldn't have eaten in there. Uh-huh. I mean, I was there a million times for so many shows. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you had to have been out of your mind to even think about using that toilet. Like <laughs> yeah, I won't play anywhere yeah. where, the, where the toilet is usable. Uh, yeah. what, what, I never learned what was the reason CBGB shut down. Right. Well, the true reason was, you know, people were doing that whole, oh, save CBGBs. But Hilly was getting older, and Hilly didn't really want right. to keep right. the place open. Mm-hmm. I mean, he... Had really had it. I mean, he, yeah. he devoted so much of his life to the place, and he'd been there for many years. And when I was a young guy, <clears throat> you know, like when I was like 18 or 17 going in there the first times, I remember helping Hilly out with one thing. And I remember when he was a kid, I busted his balls years later. I go, you fuck. I, go, I remember him like, you yelling at me one day. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy yelling at me for? <laughs> and then we became great friends, right. and, you know, up until the time he died. <laughs> it's usually uh, how very, it very good friends with Hilly. <laughs> yeah. And um, never paid to get into the venue ever. Nice. Uh, and then introduced tons of people on the, that stage, whether it was Rancid or Catherine Wheel. I mean, it was, but I mean, I would go there, you know, in the uh, early 1980s. And, uh, and see tons of people. And, you know, you could even get into clubs when you were 16, 17 back then because the drinking age was 18. Right. And nobody gave a shit. Like, one of my favorite clubs that you guys – is called City Gardens. that used to be open in Trenton, New Jersey. And I saw hundreds of shows there. I mean, I saw Bauhaus on the small stage and Killing Joke and the Psychedelic Furs and the Thompson Twins and Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and all these awesome. bands. And – we would drive with a 12-pack of beer in our car with open containers. Like, that's what you would do. <laughs> of course, it would be the cheapest stuff you could find, Meisterbrow sure. or something. Old Milwaukee. You know what I mean? You're a bunch of college kids. Brimstone. But, I mean, you know, the world has Brimstone. changed a lot. You know, you get caught Absolutely. with an open container now. Right, yeah. I, mean, I don't worry about that being sober now. So that's Sure, right. sure. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, let's see here. Speaking of shows, today's topic is... Best shows and worst shows. Uh, and let's go ahead and jump into a confession here. This one is from Nick Raphael, Aurora, Colorado. He says, I saw Red Hot Chili Peppers at Virgin Fest. They were amazing. It was after Stadium Arcadium came out. Most songs they played were from the album. The only pre-Californication song they played was Give It Away. They did not give a fuck, but as a group, they were really tight. Is there more of a divisive band, I think, in, in kind of like the hard, yeah. you know, in kind of the alternative rock world than the Red Hot Chili Peppers? What do you guys think? Yeah, people, I, what do you think, Sue? I think people either love them or hate them. Definitely. Yeah, I, mean, more I, than I, I, I don't think I'm a huge fan. I get that, that like they're like good musicians and stuff. I really, really do. And I think some of the songs are real good. It's just not really my thing. Like the whole funk, th- I right. realized like at a certain point that I, don't like anything that's funky, you know? I'm not um. <laughs> a huge funk fan either, but I do feel like they, they did take it to some cool new levels with Frushante and everything. I know you love Frushante. Yeah, Frushante yeah. was great. Yeah. I, mean, I really um, actually think, what, like, I mean, it, they were obviously making... You know, I did the last interview with Hillel before he died. Oh, wow. And Anthony, at HTG of all places, you know, oh they drove God. up in an RV and then Flea was like, Half awake, he, he walked into the studio for like a minute, but he was like pretty much half asleep and <laughs> went back out in the uh, RV. They pulled up down the up into the gravel road in uh, in Eatontown, New Jersey. <laughs> but um, you know, and I was, uh, but that was the last. Uh, Hillel died sh- shortly after that from mm. an overdose, which was very sad. Yeah. But for Shanti came in and changed their whole style. Absolutely. And, um, and there was there was uh, you know there was evidence that there could be greatness. On Mother's Milk because of the you know cover of, of Higher Ground that mm-hmm. wasn't actually and that knocked me down for as well because they covered things like Subterranean Homesick Blues and mm-hmm. and uh, Sly and Family Stone if you want me to stay some good some good old stuff but 
I think the thing with Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which just celebrated its anniversary, believe it or not, isn't it amazing, guys, that Nirvana's Nevermind, Soundgarden's Bad Mother Finger, and, <laughs> and Blood Sugar Sex Magic all came out on the same day? Did they really? As well as Teenage Fan Club. Band Sue and I were Nash. just so we're all, just talking about that the chronology of when the when the grunge albums kind of all came out. That, that, that day in 1991 but, was like kind of a what day? But, day. but Outshine was big before Teen Spirit, wasn't it? Yes. Well, yeah, it was. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. They were both depending on what kind of radio station you were listening to. If you MTV. were listening to kind of a hard rock <laughs> in station. Harrisonburg, Virginia, MTV was my <laughs> rock radio station. Yeah, there you go. Which is great, you know. That, it was a great time for me to be. Yeah, there. at the time, but, you, know, you know, it was good. I, I gotta say, you know, um, as far as the Chili Peppers go, it was because Anthony was afraid to show them anything that was a little more introspective. And then, of course, they did those three Melver songs on Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, which were under the bridge. I could have lied in Breaking the Girl, which were. Mm. That's when I said, "Wow, there's another dimension yeah. to these guys," you know. Yeah. Um, so people either like them or don't like them. I like them because uh, you know they've been my friends for mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. and, um, I've done a lot of stuff with yeah. them. And, I, you know, I think I can say I'm a fan, honestly. I, I like John Frusciante's solo stuff better, probably. But I, I feel like the, the Chili Peppers in a lot of those funk metal bands always verge on being really great, but just on the edge of being obnoxious, you know? Kind of like mayonnaise. Like, if you have the right <laughs> amount... You know what I mean? It's like almost or disgusting. Or right, right, right. It's like almost disgusting if you do it just a little too much. Like the Chili Peppers, Primus. Uh, yeah. Uh, what are some other bands in those veins that are just like they almost rub you the wrong way, but they just do it or enough. Or fully rub you the wrong way yeah. in the case of Yeah, Primus. depending on who you are, right? You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, and I like those guys. Like I said, they're all my friends. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy Frusciante's back in the band too. So am I. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Josh was such, it was a great, great young sure. guy, and yeah, I hope they keep him for live performances. But um, yeah, but Frusciante is definitely. I mean, he was the he was a secret weapon. I mean, they're, you know, it's not to say that Chad's not a great drummer and Flea's not a great bass player of or course. anything. But if you notice, they never did it unplugged, and this is one of the things that um, a lot of people don't realize. The reason they didn't, didn't do an unplugged is I think they were afraid that Anthony couldn't hit the notes mm. and uh, unplugged. Right. I'm not right. sure. I mean, I can't, that's not documented. Yeah, but well, you got a feel for the guy. Offered I mean, them, we offered them to do the unplugged like 10 times. Really? Mm. Wow. Yeah. I think that could have been good. Um, you know? He, he, I mean, especially he, since we let everybody do their song like three times. Right. Yeah. Camera angles, and we right. wait for the best performance. We right. did it with Nirvana. Right. We did it with right. Alice in Chains. Re you know, real quick. Everybody. Real quick, you guys. Best unplugged performance. Um. What is your favorite, Sue? I'm gonna let you go first. Gee whiz, man! You know what? I'm like again. I'm gonna just shut shut you down and be like, I, I was like really not into unplugged really? stuff because I like Alice loud in stuff. Chains, un, uh, Nirvana. No, so you don't understand. You don't understand. Yeah. Like bands like Nirvana represented the end of the kind of music that I really liked, like being popular in the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? The bands I liked were bands like My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive. And, right, I love all that. Boy. And and also stuff like um, the Wonder stuff and Jesus Jones and stuff like that. You know what I mean? These, band, these bands yeah. from England with the weird haircuts that were totally just like blown out of the water the minute Smells Like Teen Spirit premiered on I 120 Minutes. I don't see it at all like that. In my recollection, and I was much younger, so I was just kind of getting like the daytime MTV and, you know, like, uh, I feel like Nirvana burst the doors open for those bands. Am I yeah. wrong about that? Well, for well, a lot of them, it definitely did. I mean, it certainly opened the door for a bald guy on television. <laughs> because before that... Because they, of the, be the guy in the audience? Like, you had to look like you were in Poison or something. Like. No, Wait, th that wasn't you in the video, was the in the, in the bald guy in the video in uh, Teen Spirit in the audience? No, it wasn't. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> people always thought I was also in the Tool Stink Fist video, which I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I did debut it, though, and I was told I couldn't say Stink I remember Fist. that. It was track number one, and I was like, what track number one. And I went like this. I went. I, I sniffed my fist, and then I held it to the <laughs> which, of course, Maynard and those guys loved, you know? Oh, man. Um, man. Another, real, another real memorable one was uh, you with uh, Marilyn Manson, kind of before they broke, right? Yeah. They and we up. did the thing. We did the we did the uh, 120 minutes of nothing with like the whole Nine Inch Nails record label. And we also did the one with me and Twiggy and him. It was really funny <laughs> with this shooting from the ceiling and all the other yeah. <laughs> crazy shit. Oh man! Well, you know, I mean, there's a funny story in my book. You know, speaking of drug use and alcoholism, which I'm sober now, but remember the 
and it's also in that book called Louder Than Hell, The Oral History of Metal, that you know that you may be going over the line when Marilyn Manson says to you, Pinfield, you scare us. Are you serious? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. It's the truth. Oh, my it's goodness. It's the truth. Wow. I hope you we got that on tape. cocaine. Um, <laughs> it was just crazy. It was like the end of a, ra- a Radiohead show called The Ben. I mean, for The Ben's. And, uh, and, and they go, dude, we got some cocaine. Let's go find a place to do it. I mean, you know, we were just... We're just reckless and crazy uh-huh, at the time. Uh-huh. I mean, were, were you know, stories, at that period of time. Were the stories about Manson true? As far as like the, yeah. them kind of taking the the depravity of of the eighties era and kind of bringing it into the alternative scene. You know, with me and him, it was funny. I told him I remember when he put out "Long Hard Road Out of Hell." I said, "Marilyn, thank you for not putting any stories about us partying in there." And he goes, oh, "I didn't think you." He goes, "Well, no problem, man. I didn't think your bosses would like that." But he was a crazy dude. Yeah. How f- I mean, on this podcast, how far can we go? I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. It's in my book, but right, let's there hear it. Is, go for it. We'd love well, to. Well, there's it. a he basically, there's a part of my book where he calls my friend, my friend uh, Jose, Indian, who lived in uh, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. We were down there. And, you know, back then, before people had cell phones, and he calls my house and he thinks I'm answering the phone. <laughs> and uh, my friend answers the phone and he just goes, Hello. And my friend goes, Hello. And he goes, I want to do a line of coke off your cock. <laughs> and wow. my friend goes, hello? <laughs> and he goes, Matt? He goes, no, 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 this is his roommate. He goes, uh, tell him Brian's on the phone. <laughs> and it's wow. Brian Werner or Marilyn Manson. And then my friend said, he just heard me and him, me laughing on the phone with him. And it was just, he was, Marilyn's a funny guy. We, we, uh, <laughs> Those were crazy times. But, like, you know, one of my favorite things to, to tell people now is, you know, Trent's been sober and clean for a long time. And, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's over, now he's won an Emmy. He's won yeah. an Oscar. He just right? won a country music award, didn't he? Because they sampled him. Yeah, he won uh, that too. Oh, yes, yeah. exactly. They sampled him on uh, uh, Take My Horse. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, my nephew's yes. favorite song. <laughs> yeah, he's won so many awards. He's over the only thing I think. He hasn't won yet. There's the, what's the, the Tony. Yeah, Tony. He just needs a he Tony. He only has to win the Tony, and right. then he's won it all. Right. But one of my favorite things is when Trent is going on stage on that tour with Soundgarden, and like we're backstage, and he just comes up to me, and he comes up as he's going to the stage, and he kisses me on both cheeks and goes, <laughs> we're still here against all odds, right. <laughs> which was the truth from all the madness. But now, you know, yeah. we live through it. That's yeah, the important yeah. thing. Um, but you know, we, you, you guys were talking about concerts and, um, at that period of time, I've got a really interesting perspective about that. Like my, some of my favorite concerts ever were seeing the clash, seeing the jam, seeing mm. the buzzcocks, a lot of punk rock stuff that I loved, of course. But I also have this experience where I, there are two bands that I love in two different genres. I've seen them at their absolute shittiest show yeah. and at their best. Yeah. And okay. one is the Smiths. I saw the Smiths four times. I saw them at the Tower in Philadelphia and two nights for me to murder at the Beacon, and they were phenomenal. Mm. Well, they came back to tour for the media, uh, for uh, for the Queen is Dead, mm-hmm. and they had a re- did a really bad like the show. The sound sucked. There was something really lackluster about it when they played the Pier in New York City. And years later, I actually well, not even years later, maybe when the first electronic album came out mm. with Johnny Marr and with uh, with a uh, Bernie. I remember sitting in a hotel room and actually saying to Johnny, Johnny, man, you broke our heart. Mm. Fucking show sucked. The Queen's Dead, he goes. And you weren't mincing words that night, were you? Yeah, I know. And he goes to me, Matt, it was the worst show we ever did. And he goes, so he agreed with me. He goes, and he didn't, I didn't mean it like I got, but I told him, I goes, it was heartbreaking because you guys are so great. The three other times. He just told me it was a really bad show for them. Uh And and I mean, that took a lot of balls for me to say that. It just sure. came out of my mouth. And it wasn't insulted. It was just like, man, I don't, what was it about that night? And he agreed. Yeah. The same thing happened with me and Aerosmith. Because, you know, once Aerosmith got clean, because I loved Aerosmith as a kid in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Like the early stuff, like Toys in the Attic, Rocks, Get Your Wings, the first album. And I saw them, Rocks, Tour, and Draw the Line. And they were the worst because mm. I had just seen Queen do not at the opera at the Beacon Theater in 1976, which was amazing. Right. Mm. So Freddie Mercury was at his best. They were incredible. So bad company. And I remember talking to Ray Thomas Baker who produced the cars in Queen. And I said, you know, 
Bad Company were good at the Garden, but they kind of didn't do much. He goes, well, you got to remember, he goes, they were a pot band and we were a Coke band, <laughs> which was so <laughs> funny that he right. said that. But yeah. the truth is that Queen were just incredible performers, mm. and I loved their first four albums. Um, but the same thing happened with Aerosmith. I went to see them play, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, and the sound was awful. Mm. And it was like, toys, toys, you couldn't hear shit. And they sucked. And I was like, still love them at the time. But years later, I'm doing, doing a shoot with them at MTV. And it's, I'm not on camera saying this to them, though. But I go, God, what the f I go, I saw you guys when you came back around with Permanent Vacation. And you guys are phenomenal, man. I go, Steven was doing backflips. The band sounded incredible. Guns N' Roses were opening. It was Appetite mm. for Destruction tour with Deep Purple. Wow. And I said, I said, you guys were amazing. I go, uh, and they go, I go, but, but when I saw you with the garden in the 70s, man, I go, it sounded like shit. And they look at me and go, they go, you know, we were so fucked up at the time mm. that uh, we didn't, we thought we were still a garage band. We don't have to have a good PA. Which is <laughs> <laughs> what they actually said to me. But I mean, you know, I uh, I loved you know a lot of punk shows that I've seen over the years. I mean, there's a, a lot of I just there's just so many different things mm. that I you know I've I've seen some incredible shows. Do you have a number one that that stands out? If you had to put it in the history book, I mean, I have to say, um, probably either the Clash at the Capitol Theater um, right before London Calling, where they debuted that song, and I was there the night. Paul Simon had smashed his bass no. on the, oh, for the cover at the New York Palladium. I was oh, there. Oh, cool. And you know what I thought at the time? It's funny because I, I was on the Mick Jones side and I loved them. But you know what I thought at the time that was so crazy? Um, I, uh, I remember thinking, holy shit, look what Paul just did. I don't know if he's doing a Pete Townsend thing or if he is really pissed off at that bass. <laughs> and then it becomes the iconic yeah. cover of one of my favorite right, albums. Right. Of which, which would be a Trent Reznor it. thing, if I recall. <laughs> yeah. he had a, if an if a instrument wasn't doing its job, it paid the price. <laughs> it did. And, and Nine Inch Nails were also such a great oh, yeah. live band. Um, so wait, I have a question, know, Matt, for you. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you've, pro you've probably gone to like a million shows, but you've probably like seen a lot from the side of the stage. You know what I mean? Yes. But, okay. you know, but like then there's also, you know, been the, been the ones that you paid to get in. You know what I mean? And yes. stuff, which is just a different, it's just a different experience. Do you think that your favorite shows are ones like where you paid to get in? Um, I think you, because of how impressionable I was right. at the time too. Yes, I would say that. But I do appreciate shows even when I get in for free if they're good. Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's certain venues where like City Gardens, I only had to ever pay for one show and it wasn't the best show I saw there it was when after Ian Curtis died, it was the first show when they did their tour for a new order. And all they had out was a single ceremony. So I went and saw them and everybody, although I always got in free to city gardens because I would promote the shows right. on a record station and do summers on PRB, the Princeton university station. I would, um, get in for free, but no one got in for free. I mean, we paid a whopping $5 to see them that yeah. day. In the afternoon, Bernie Sumner wouldn't face the audience. He was not comfortable <laughs> being on stage yet after Ian Curtis died. Wow. So there you are watching Joy Division, basically, you know, without Ian Curtis. Um, and, you know, but I mean, I do appreciate shows I got into for free, too many. But you're mm. right, there was something about, you know, that, the, you know, I, and believe me, to be honest with you, you know what I do now? Even if I get in free, I always buy merch. And it's mm, always yes. been, awesome. my thing is that I will always give something to the band. You have to. I don't, cool. I Thank do you. not I appreciate that. In like, uh, you got to give back. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you got to help people get to the next venue. Everybody you know listen I mean? to Matt Pinfield right now. Yeah. This is real important. Yeah. This is a PSA <laughs> right now. I, you know, I buy shirts. I don't, you know, obviously, you know, you've probably seen online. I have like the most insane collection of music t-shirts ever. But I will still buy no matter what show I go to the band and even the opening band, even if I, you know, mm -hmm. think they're just okay or whatever, I'll still buy shirts and go home with them because that's nice. I realize how much, how important it is. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. especially cause you know, I, how many, I mean, you probably know, you know, Sue, you, you go to, you know, you end up sleeping on people's couches, their floors, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes not have enough gas money <laughs> to know. get to the next venue. Um, yeah. you know, I realize I've heard it from all my friends, you know, I mean, 
Um, and sure. so I think it's important, to, especially now too, because people make 10% of what it, they would have made off of CD right. and vinyl sales. Oh, yeah. um, you know, with streaming, I mean, people depend on that yeah. merch money. Absolutely. So if you go to a concert once things open up again, buy a t-shirt absolutely yeah. buy something yeah. yeah you know sue did you have do you have that experience where it's more enjoyable when you uh when you pay for a ticket so like it's not it's not the paying for the ticket i think it's just like a different experience you know now that like like i don't want to sound like a seamster jerk you know what i mean but i can like you know just go backstage at most of the places that i go you know what i mean because i know the band or yeah. like you know and it's just a, like just like a different experience when you're you know, seeing it from the band side of things instead of like the crowd side of things, you know mm, what I mean? Mm. And like, um, that's why like, even, even like when we're on tour, like I, I always like really, really try to like, I mean, you know, I will always go out and like watch the, you know, the other bands like from the crowd, Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, because I don't know, it's just like cooler and like, <laughs> and like, I don't know. I know it's, it's, it's sometimes hard like to do that every night, you know what I mean? Um, like on tour, like, it, it, also, when you're when you're little, when you're younger, and you're going to your first couple shows, it's just like the coolest experience, mm. you know. And Absolutely. it's like it's just like it's big sound, big lights. You know what I mean? Everybody there is into the same thing you're into, which never freaking happened right, in my right. life yeah. before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, they were yes. just like, like I mean, I like I spent my like entire like you know teenage years trying to force people to like listen to like the bands I was into. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sure. uh, and just to like you know be around people that like ha- like are also know the words because it's really obscure you know oh uh, we got uh are we can you hear us now i think we just yeah i just want to okay. say yeah i can hear you good now yeah you know i mean i think that's the thing too when you're young like i'll never forget that queen show you know 1976 mm-hmm. night at the opera they weren't big enough to play the garden yet um and they were about to get to that level on that album night at the opera but the album before it was my favorite, Sheer Heart Attack, the one with Killer Queen, and mm. now I'm here in Stone Cold Crazy. That was my favorite. Still to this day, my favorite Queen album. Or, um, uh, and I remember how mind-blowing it was. And I was in the next to last row at the Beacon, yet it was still <laughs> a theater and wow. not the garden. And um, I we got stuck in Port Authority. We took a bus in, you uh. know, me and my, my older brother and his, his wife at the time, his first wife. And we... Um, we were all stuck like in a snowstorm, kind of like we got it. <laughs> the show ran late because there was a power issue. So Freddie just played the piano for a while. Wow. Like it was wow. the wildest thing in the world. So everything. So it was just him and the mic and the piano. Wow. He did this long in- centered thing that cool. they kind of had to do to scramble to get the power back on for the rest of the sound. Wow. And it turned out to be this even more epic show. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Yeah, so it sounds amazing. Uh, I loved that, you know, but I, um, yeah, I mean, when you're young, it's so. I mean, I saw so many cool shows, but then too. But again, like I said, I saw shows too where I was I was disappointed. The funniest story, which I think is also um, in my book. You know, I wrote the book, and I was really happy they re-released it during the pandemic on yeah. paperback. So people can order it from Amazon or cool. uh, awesome. if you want to get it, or it's on Kindle, it's on Audible. Great. Um, but anyway, but the thing is, it's. Uh, I always never forget. So speaking of Aerosmith, just to add insult to injury to the bad show for the Rocks tour, <laughs> when Draw the Line, the album after it came out, my guitarist in my junior high band, right? I sang in a band called Thunderhead. Like that was oh, one of the best name great. we could come up with when we were 14, 15. Sure. And hey, whatever, you know, it was the 70s. And um, <laughs> I got it. So we're, he picks up the tickets. I give him the money and we take the bus in to go see Aerosmith. And um, we get there and I go, What's going on? I go, I go, I look at a ticket. I go, man, what, what, what's with the ticket? It looks like you um, wrote something. He goes, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. I, I, I changed it. We're going to be in a better row. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh. yeah, yeah, you know where this oh, is going. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so they walk us. <laughs> we were originally on like the tear off the ground at the Madison Square Garden. And then we go down and I'm like, oh, my God. Look. Holy shit, we're like in the 13th row. So the guy takes the tickets, the usher, he walks us and he's walking. I'm like, going, oh wow, this may actually. And then he walks us right out the back door. Oh, oh, no. oh. the door on us. And I'm like, no. oh, oh so, so he's like, right this way, gentlemen, and then slams like, it behind he, you. Oh, yeah. And all he had to do, my friend, was just leave the fucking tickets oh. alone. And oh, why man. did he like try? Did he like, 
what was the mindset that you think that you're gonna? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, this, you know, this is gonna magically have an open seat right, there when you right. just decided to put that number. That was a pretty oh, funny teenagers. Story. I mean, uh, you know, and by now, you know, it's funny. Now I've had, I've, I've introduced at least twenty five bands on stage at Madison Square Garden, and I always, when I do, I always look up and say, "Fuck, I was that kid." in the last row, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So that's a really, for me, that was a, it's a beautiful thing. Cool. Cool. Uh, when artists have asked me to do that, but um, I'm awesome. like you, I, you know, I, um, I just love, I love small punk rock shows too. And I love, uh, I love, I love to see bands. That was the thing that was so important to me because I'm older, you know, that when the p- punk thing originally began to happen, the indie thing. And um, I love that you could go and you felt like you were more in touch with the artists themselves mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. could talk to the artists after their show and you, you could hang. That was such a big deal for me. That's why I love uh, that era for me. You mm-hmm, know, when I was, mm-hmm. in, and of course I was playing all that music on college radio anyway, which was really cool. Yeah. Because before I started playing like all the punk, post-punk, new wave, and all that other stuff, and even I would always throw in, you know, Lou Reed, Bowie, T Rex. So, you know, I loved all that stuff. Awesome. Um, always, um, you know, that. Uh, I just remember that it was just, it was such an exciting time. You could go see all those bands. Like you were talking about, I remember the, you know, the wonder stuff, which is you mentioned earlier and, you know, I was so close to, you know, on miles yeah. hunt and love that band still stay in touch with miles. Oh, you know? cool. awesome. And they were, they're so, they're so cool. But um, yeah, going to shows is still one of my favorite things to do. And I went to, you know, the last two shows I saw here in Los Angeles before the pandemic uh, was this young artist from New York named Des Rocks um, and the band Glorious Sons from Canada. And, and they were playing at the El Rey and I went to that show. And then Mondo Cosmo, speaking of being from the Mid-Atlantic, is from Philly. Hmm. And um, he was playing, he reached out to me, Josh, and he said, because um, he used to be in that band Eastern Conference Champions, you know, before that. And um, he goes, um, hey man, I'm playing at the Hi-Hat tonight. And I'm thinking, I go, what time are you going on? He goes, 10.30. I'm like, Fucking <laughs> I'm going and I'm going. And while he's in between songs, he sees me buying a t-shirt. Like I always do. He goes, man, you didn't have to buy a t-shirt. <laughs> what gave you? I'm like, no, no, I always buy a t-shirt. That's, that's cool. Uh, and it's great. the last show that I saw. And then that was done. Yeah. And we were locked down. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing for me. I think that's one of the reasons why I relapsed uh, and started drinking again during the pandemic was I'm so used to being very social. Sure. And right. yeah, it's been tough for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, but I'm sober now. Good, good. Uh, almost five months. Awesome. Are you are you finding uh, community online for? Yeah, well, I do. You know, believe it or not, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I do a lot of Zoom meetings. Yeah, me too. Um, we, we you know, which is fantastic. I mm-hmm. love doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some outside meetings. I will go to one tonight and tomorrow night in Silver Lake. Nice. Um, nice. that I go to with a couple punk rock legends that I, you know, of course it's, it's an anonymous program. Yeah. That's so always, that's always I tough. Their names, <laughs> I know. But, it's uh, like, you want to say I it, mean, but you can't say it. Yeah. But, and there's like, these are guys from two legendary West coast punk bands, nice. um, yeah. that I hang out with. And we, um, we go to this meetings, two meetings in Silver Lake on, uh, okay. Saturday and Sunday nights, which I love doing, you know, awesome. and it's, it's a big sure. sense of community, not sure, only with sure. the sober community, but with the music community. And yeah. also because of the sobriety community, I've become friends with a ton of comedians out here too. Oh, nice. That's and, what, that's um, my main thing. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. Uh, Cause you love that a lot. You go well, see a lot of comedy. And I it. am a comedian. That's my, yeah, you are right. Yeah, I yeah. know you are Michael, which is cool. And you <laughs> do. So do you, there's a nice community of guys there too. Right? Absolutely. Because let's face it. All of us people in entertainment, we can be pretty fucked up. Oh yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> or at least. You know. Yeah. Shockingly though, I got sober before I became a comedian though. So, did you really? That's great. Yeah, yeah. Years a before. A lot of years now? How, many, how long have you been sober? Uh, 17 years, believe it or not. Oh, it's fantastic. Man. Thank you. That's great. Appreciate that. I love that. You know, I'm like day counting now. Like today, the day that we are doing the show, uh, I'm, I'm going on five months. So it's about, I'm 142 days. That's great, man. And one of my other friends who relapsed to it 25 years. I mean, the pandemic really threw a lot of people off. Absolutely. It certainly did it to me. Yeah. Um, I was like in lockdown mm. saying, Wait a minute. Where's where my friends were the shows where the yeah. meetings? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was yeah, kind yeah. Of- it's been tough for a lot of people. I've been really trying and to like, reach out to people it, online. And like it's like it's like I don't know. It's kind of like in pre-pandemic times. I didn't really have to like make an effort to be social because right. it would just like happen because yeah, you know. Oh, I'm gonna go to the you know. But now that like I, everything is hard. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You don't just run into people. I don't. 
you know, we were about to leave for tour. Like, we're first, you know, I already bought my dang plane ticket to L.A. to tour with Bad Religion and Alkaline Trio for a month, you know? Yeah, and, which uh, would have been unbelievable, you yeah. know what I mean? No, and two I knew, bands that I love. And, uh, hope that happens again someday. Time. You know? But uh, I know yeah. I keep complaining about that, but, you know, it was, like, going to be so cool. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, oh, and it's tough. the same thing. It's like, you know, the Interrupters are around here are good friends, and they were about to go out with, you know, with on that Green Day uh, Fall Out Boy Weezer tour, um, and then just tons of, and I feel even more for bands like yourselves, Sue, because it's the, uh, the merch thing is such an important part of the income, uh, for, for a young band sure. or for a band that is, you know, like that has a cult following or, you know, is developing and growing as a band. Um, and that's why I've done a lot of charity stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah even before great. I relapsed and mm -hmm. then went out, you know, and like started yeah. drinking again and then stopped, mm -hmm. got, mm -hmm. went and got help. Yeah. I mean, there's was, there was two, uh, there's two articles in Rolling Stone. Um, yeah. I, was, really, I read one of them. Yeah. The one, the one that where I really talked about mm -hmm. my relapse mm -hmm. was the second one they did. Um, and they, it helped a lot of people. I mean, yeah, a lot of people definitely. reached out from like Australia, from Paris. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh, that you're you know, so and just thanked that. me for telling the story. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. which which um, I was very grateful to do that. Mm -hmm. How long were you sober before that? that? Almost uh, going on two years. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Uh, you know, but it's it's crazy because it's I've been in and out for a long time. Sure. It's not like you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie and say. No, I appreciate you being so honest about it. I mean, that's one of the hardest things for people is when they have a stretch of sobriety and then they relapse, but it seems like you're really yeah. making an effort to turn it into a positive thing and use it to help other people. Yeah, that's what it's about. For me, it's about paying it forward and giving back. Absolutely. Um, and by telling my story, I, you know, I got letters from everywhere. And one of right. the ones that really broke my heart and a woman, a mother reached out to me and told me how her son died after uh, he had been uh, clean and she was in New York City and mm. he passed away and his friend who had five years clean also died oh, and man. passed away from an overdose oh. and wow. she thanked me for talking about right. it and yeah. for bringing attention to it because I mean you know obviously everything else was about COVID, COVID, COVID every right, five minutes right. yeah. and it was kind of the unsung effect sure, and, uh, sure. that, was, that was killing people and, yeah um, yeah so, yeah. but I'm grateful. I'm here, man, man. And my friends Good rallied man. around me. You know so what I mean? I'm and so was... glad you're doing well. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, go to another confession here. This one is from Paul Jeffrey oh. Childs, Powhatan, Virginia. I'm going to say Iron Maiden was the best at London Brixton Academy Brave New World Tour charity event for their uh, previous drummer, Clive Burr, who had MS. The venue is 4,500-ish, hot, sweaty, close-up personal gig. Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith had rejoined. Maiden were on fire with everything to prove. Worst gig was Green Day at Milton Keynes <laughs> Bowl, uh, England. Was so hyped for it, but they seemed lackluster, and it looked like they were having a boring day at work. Not not uh, excited at all. Hate that. Especially at a bowl. I mean, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, it's the same thing where I've seen the Stones fantastic and I've sure. seen the worst. Yeah, it happens. It happens. I've seen, I've seen Manson yeah. kind of lackluster, to be honest with you. I yeah, mean, normally he, he's amazing, but the first time I saw him was a disappointment, I have to say. Yeah. It was when he was uh, touring with Slayer in like 2007 or so. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, it depends on what, what kind of what state he's in, I think, sometimes. Yeah, no, he, he said clearly that he was he was not in the right state on stage at yeah. that time. So. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, but it's, um, he's talking about Maiden, you know, I just, this is actually the anniversary today of me hosting Rockin' Rio, the broadcast. I was in, one year ago today, I was hosting the first day of seven nights of concerts. It was one nice. of the greatest, my, my favorite trips I've ever had in my life. Uh, for Live by Live, I was doing this thing. And, and speaking of Maiden, for, for our, your listeners, Maiden were fantastic. And the thing that was amazing about it was there was no question uh, that there's such a love for rock and, mm. and even punk. Because, I mean, people were dry. I had a guy outside my hotel room playing the KKK took my baby with the Ramones <laughs> in his car. And then like awesome. I saw these kids skateboarding and they were nice. playing this charming man by the Smiths. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm in Rio. You know what I mean? It's like a regular neighborhood. Right, right. Right. It was, um, but Maiden uh, were their audience came from all over the world. Sure. And when I was leaving Rio de Janeiro after hosting the Seven Nights, and it was a very you know it was a diverse festival that year. Of course, I could always just rock and Rio. I mean, it was everybody from 
Muse, Imagine Dragons, Foo Fighters, Slayer, Anthrax, uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, I mean, you, you had Pink and Drake and people like that as well. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, it was a Bon Jovi. I said Foo Fighters, Google Dolls. There were tons of different wow. people. To play. But it was a... That sounds fun. It was an, yeah, it was an amazing, <laughs> amazing seven nights. You know, and I got on that stage and I looked out at 150,000 people. And there's a photo of that. Like, if you go to my Facebook or Twitter or my, and by the way, my just so people know, my Facebook is Matthew Pinfield, and and my Twitter is also at Matthew Pinfield. I mean, no, no, my my Instagram is at Matthew Pinfield, and it's at Matt Pinfield, not to be confusing, at on Twitter. <laughs> uh, so it's like that. But you, there's a picture there of me on stage with my back to the audience, 150,000 people. It was talk about a natural high. It was unbelievable to be on stage and to shoot and wow. host that yeah. uh, in another country. And then I ziplined across the crowd. No way. That's a thing? You which was, yeah, people were wow. doing it. I was challenged. So the last oh my night. Well, I'm glad you were night. sober at that time. Were you? Yeah, well, I had to be. <laughs> oh, God. You know, climbing up that tower to do oh, that, man. man, I was terrified. Wow. But I did it anyway. Oh, you know, that's there's amazing. There's pretty amazing footage of it. That's but I mean, so I love cool. that. I, I just want him to know that, yeah, maybe you still have like just the most insane following. Uh -huh. And Brixton Academy, the venue he's talking about, is one of my favorite venues, mm. if not my favorite venue in England. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it's I've seen so many great shows there. In fact, when I signed Cody in Cambria, I that was where I, I was. I left America. I was signing another band from Manchester called Longview. I had been in Long uh, there. I was on a train, Virgin train, coming to London. My friend goes to me, the guy who signed like 1975 in the Wombats and those bands. He says, "Hey, Matt, man, there's a band from this unsigned band from Vegas. I want you, you hear the same band called the Killers. They gave me a demo CD. It's on my iPod, and I put it on. I'm like, I gotta go find these guys. Oh, I'm gonna find this band. And then I, of course, watched the Killers." play in their parents' garage, <laughs> doing Mr. Brightside and smiling. Oh like man. Media which is amazing, right? It's in, all the stories are in the book. But um, but um, I just remember that I love Brixton Academy. That's where I went because I didn't want to be in the clusterfuck of where everybody was trying to sign Coe right. in, in, in New Jersey, in New York or L.A. So I was like, well, I'm going to go over there and sign this band Longview, who are like you would sue like because you like my buddy Valentine and you like Slow Dive. Mm -hmm. they were yeah, very well, I know them. Days. I know them. I had, yeah. a, I had a poster of them actually. In my yeah, and they're very cool. You know, <laughs> while I was there, I shot like I was in their video for the song. Still, they just yeah. we were just having pints one morning out at, uh, you know, like uh, in in Manchester. And it was, and then I took it down there. So I discovered the Killers that day. Of course, I tried to sign up, but the stories in there that Leo Cohen at Island Def Jam offered them uh, an offer they couldn't really refuse. So mm. I didn't get to sign them, but at least I got a song out of it, a great song, right? Yeah, and great. um, and. Uh, Brixton Academy, what a venue. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's just this unbelievable venue in London. So many great bands. In fact, the bands you mentioned going on, Bad Religion, I played there many times, Alkaline Trio. Nice. Uh, I remember that night it was Coheed and Thrice. I mean, it was just so, there was always so many different cool shows I saw. There's saw the Wonder Stuff there, of course. Oh, awesome. Right. You know? <laughs> and they were great, you know, and Ned's Atomic Dust Band. Uh, oh, that's that's one of Sue's yeah. favorites. Yeah, we love what, Ned's. Did, did, was Matt the VJ when you saw that video? Um, No, Dave Kendall. Oh, Yeah, okay. it was still yeah. Dave Kendall before, yeah, because I was still on, you were listening to me on HCG yeah. then, right? Yep. So. Yeah, the video changed yeah. your life. Yeah, the video was like, okay, well, this is what I'm into yeah. now. Okay, cool. Good yeah, to know. exactly. This is, this they were is gonna great. be my life. Um, <laughs> You know, it's amazing. You know, Dave's, uh, he's in Thailand now, you yeah. know, and you know, my, I got hit by, you know, obviously I got hit by a car and yeah. survived that incredible thing with a runaway car hitting me my head, going through windshield, being thrown 15 feet in, mm. in oh. the air and landing on my back uh, and having my legs snapped in half. Oh my, oh my God. I came from all of that. Um, but um, it's funny, you know, because um, I, I was worried about Dave because I reached out to him because I heard that he got hit by a car in Thailand where he lives. I'm like, David, you're right. Because, you know, we were always friends. I mean, they let him go from doing 120 minutes. But, I mean, there's old footage of him interviewing me on the street at, like, a Robin Hitchcock show <laughs> when he was the host. And we always were friends. You know yeah. what I mean? Same with, yeah. like, me and Ricky Rackman when I did the version of Headbangers Ball we called mm -hmm. Matt Rock, which was basically people thought was Headbangers Ball. Uh -huh. I, st I was friends with all those guys. It yeah. wasn't, like, this weird competition thing. We right, were, like... Right. Right. You know, we just all for the love of the music, you know? Right. Um, well, and so when they, the first, the last ever 120 minutes episode, Jim Shearer was hosting 
and his guests were me and Dave Kendall. Oh, and nice. we oh that's awesome. Road cases and played our favorite videos <laughs> from our eras. Oh, I wonder if that's like online somewhere. I'd love to. I watch think it that. is. You that's should check awesome. it out because well, it's just me and. Kendall, it's cool. Yeah, whatever happened uh, to Lewis Largent? He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> well, Lewis um, is great. I love Lewis. You know, we were very, very close friends. Lewis was a music director at K-Rock here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, where I live now. And um, Lewis, um, you know, was doing A&R. He signed some 41. He signed Andrew oh, wow. WK um, to uh, Island Def Jam. Um, and he just decided he wanted to take a break and get out of music business. He went back to school to get his... Uh, you know, his degrees and got into writing. He's oh, got cool. um, hmm. he's got a couple kids. Um, you know, he's married. His wife is the president of Atlantic Records. So, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, I was there when they went on their first date. I was at Lewis's apartment, oh, like, nice. when that, which wow. was, um, and I love him. You know, I love him. Oh, I mean, he cool. just, um, he felt at that point, like he kind of wanted to get out of the business to continue uh, to love music, uh, he felt completely understand. Mm. Completely, yeah. He understand. um he just um felt at that point he didn't want to get involved in the politics of it anymore. Although mm. his wife does amazingly, you know, as the as the president of Atlantic, uh, she's she's incredible. But and Lewis is doing good, man. You know, he's he's oh, uh, his kids are growing up. Um, they they have a house out in Brooklyn. They're doing their awesome. thing. Awesome. You know, we were all again. You know, people would you know would wonder like, oh, you know, I like you better. You know, I. We were all, we all got along. Like, you know, right. I, I didn't, I luckily didn't come across any dicks. Uh, when yes. I was like, <laughs> well, well, speaking and, and of. That's why I'm still friends with like, you know, Mark Goodman and Alan Hunter who were there before I, like when I was watching MTV. Right, right, yeah. And You're not fan. even like ever imagining sure. I would be on television. Sure. Um, so I'm friends well, with them even. So that's cool that, you know, there's just that kind of respect. It's sure. just like I look at people on radio. Everybody just wants to play music or do a job that they love to do. Absolutely. Well, speaking of replacements that did not get along very well, uh, Michael Archer from Amarillo, Texas says, Van Halen 2004 with Sammy was awful. EVH was a shadow of himself. Thank God he got help. Alex was drunk. It was loud, but only Sammy and Michael were on their game. Which is why Sammy and Michael are still tight. Right, yeah. Yeah, they're still playing you know? together, aren't they? Yeah, with Chickenfoot, you know, and uh, Sammy's a great guy, man. You know, I um, I love Sammy. And, do you go to Michael do you too. go to his legendary birthday bashes that everyone talks about? You know, about? I no, I haven't. You know, he actually set me up to hang out down there in Cabo with my ex wife uh, when I was out here doing that oh. show Farm Club, and we took a little vacation. And Sammy knew I was going to be in town, so he's like, you know, he hooked this up, and he was, nice, he was super nice. Cool. He, he and I get along great, great, great. But I, you know, it's what what, what a real shame was uh, that a lot of people don't necessarily know that you know Sammy sold his. Cobble wobble tequila for like, I don't know, right. hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah, I heard about that. And he offered all the band members a piece of it. In no Daniela, way, like a quarter. Wow. And then Michael wanted to still do it, and the other guys told him not to do it. Huh. And so he didn't. Huh. And meanwhile, then they replaced him with Wolfgang with Eddie's son. Oh. So what? You know, like that, that was. Sucks. I mean. Oh man. That's a that would have been like ten million in the yeah. bank. Yeah. Do, do you think they'll ever? Do you think they'll ever get all five of the classic members back? Or? <laughs> I hope so. Look, yeah. you know, I get along great with those guys. I mean, I mean, I, people can talk shit about Eddie all they want, but you know, he's got he's going through his struggles like yeah, I yeah, have, like anybody has. Sure. And he's actually a, a really great guy. Yeah. And when he's, yeah. I've had some great times with Eddie, and um, you know, I don't mean even getting fucked up. I just mean like being sure. out in his studio. Uh -huh. And I would love to tell this story that people, uh, my favorite story about bathrooms in the studio. Like <laughs> at 51. You had a whole chapter on them. Yeah. In 5150, in, in there in Van Halen studio, I went in to use the toilet, right? And I'm like, um, it's in between that and the actual studio. And I'm like going to pull the toilet paper and I look and there's, there's a quarter inch jack hole to plug in your guitar <laughs> right under the toilet paper. That's how Dimebag it. wrote. You're right. So yeah, you could sit on the throne and write a riff. <laughs> and I was dying. I was like, that's hey. commitment, man. I go, do you ever record from there? He goes, I have. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Who knows what Van Halen riff came out of that or Pantera? Right? Probably Eruption. <laughs> Eruption, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so funny. That and pound cake. Yeah. Yeah. Sue, uh, what, what about you? What, are you? what are your favorite and least favorite concert experiences? So I've been thinking about this one, and, you know, and, I, and I've seen a lot of, like, terrible shows, but, like, I don't, 
none of them really stand out because they weren't stuff I was like excited for. Right. It was just stuff that was boring. You sure, know what I mean? But sure. there was one show that I was really excited for and it just was bad. And it was the Strokes at Bowery Ballroom. Really? In like 2000. Huh. Now, I had heard the Strokes live on WFMU. They were doing an in-studio. Uh-huh. And they were not popular at all. They had no record out. They had nothing. You know, they were just like a band playing shows in New York at the right, time. Right. And I listened to this in-studio and I and it was amazing. And I'm like I, bur- I like, burned it onto a CD, okay? Uh-huh. Like and like gave yeah. it out to like five of my friends. Wow. And I was like, you have to check this band out because their songs they played them fast right. and they were like just tight. And I was like, yeah, this band's playing Bowery Ballroom. We gotta go. This band's great. Let's go to see them. Bowery yeah. Ballroom, one of my favorite venues, right? So like, oh man, yeah, I love the Bowery Ballroom. So, so right? we go it's there the and like everybody there is like a freaking record label dude in a suit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, yeah, that's and, the worst. I mean, like, I don't. I'm not into shows like that. I want to see an audience of fans. Yeah, right. and and like they you know? played. Yeah. They, they played slow, and they looked like oh, they wanted so they to. Were they, and they and they looked like they just like wanted to look like they did not give a. Fuck. Oh, you know so what I mean? do you think like their manager was like, "You guys play, play, don't play for the the fans tonight." No, play I don't for know. The- I did, I really have no idea. If I were like, you know. It, Oh, the record label people are at the show. I would like try to play extra good huh. and like you know look right. like I was having extra fun sure, or something. Sure. But they looked like they were so bored huh. and like there was like like no energy. And I was so disappointed and I was like so embarrassed because I beat all my friends right, come to the right. show with me. You know, so I feel like that. Oh, might that's the worst when you bring them in a show. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. You gotta tell you how great this band is. You gotta see them all. Yeah, they're looking at your watches uh, and you're like, oh, okay, I feel only two more hours of this. <laughs> you know, I you know the time I saw them perform the great the best. I've ever seen them was when they were doing a very small performance. I used to every year because I was friends with Joey Ramone and I love Joey. Uh, and every year I was uh, at least, if not the host, one of the two hosts for his birthday bash on his birthday at Urban Plaza every year. Oh, and um, other, other best venue. One, yeah. And it was one of the greatest venues ever. Right. And I um, remember that they played the one year and, and they got up and did It's Not My Place in the Nine to Five World by the Ramones. And it was like, uh, it was thunder. I mean, awesome. they were like the best I'd ever cool. seen them play. Uh, they were incredible uh, That at that uh, thing. I stopped hosting them after Joey's mom died, kind of uh, like, you know, at that point when Charlotte passed away. Mm-hmm. But um, just because at that point it was kind of like they were, it was. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, his brother was it was still doing it a little bit, but it was kind of kind of like it was just, um, you know. But when are we going to get the Ramones show, biopic Sue? is what I want to know. They've been talking about it for a long time, but I don't think uh, I think um, it's got to happen. I, I mean, there's know. a lot of different rights issues. going Yeah. On right yeah. We just in the wake of the Queen one and straight out of Compton and Elton John. The Ramones you know, like one will be, be unbelievable. Yeah, I In the dirt, you know, like I, I, yeah. I feel like it would be great. But uh, Sue, favorite concert. Sue, what was favorite show? Uh, fa- favorite show? Okay. Uh, uh, it's either uh, like um, A Veil at the Wetlands or... Um, oh, Veil. Yeah. Great. Yeah, great, right? <laughs> or like... Yeah. Um, or um, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Bruce, yeah. I love Bruce. Yeah, the first time I saw Bruce uh, at Giant Stadium. I wow. couldn't yeah. believe it. It was in like 2000, right? And I was like, yeah. I like Bruce Springsteen, but I wasn't... I didn't get it. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah. it was, it, Bruce was still like something that my parents listened to. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, New Jersey, you, there's like a weird thing. You have to like go through a phase of not liking Bruce Springsteen. I think, before you <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the punk rock thing to do, like to just be like, no, I'm not a sheep. I'm not a follower. But then you realize how great Bruce is. Yeah, no, no, no. You know? Like, I, it was like yeah. undeniable. I had never seen anything like it. Like, he had yeah. the entire goddamn, like, you know, however, like 150,000 freaking people, however many people go to Giant Stadium, like in the palm of his goddamn hand. And he would like, yeah. and he would like play the song and he would like jump up on the piano mm-hmm. and like slide across the yeah, stage. So and then cool. t- the songs are like freaking five minutes long. And then it would be over. And then he'd be like, one, two, three, four. And just yeah. go right on the next song and jump up on top of the pia- piano again. Yeah. You know, it, I had never seen a show like it. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm a freaking Bruce fan now. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love Bruce. You know, he was really kind to me. He used to listen to HTG, which I, you know, he came to one of the Christmas shows we had. Remember, we would do the Christmas yeah. shows. Count Basie, I think it was. Or maybe it was some, I can't remember the venue. At, in but Red Bank? Pat, yeah, and him yeah. and Patty uh, sat in the balcony. But, you know, he called my bosses at MTV when I went to work there and told them to look out for me, which I didn't know. Until I heard it from my bosses, You're like, "Who's wow. calling on your behalf?" 
Oh I'm like, my what? goodness! And they, you know, it was it was shocking, wow. and it was great. And I, I thanked them seven years later when I was at Columbia Records as a vice president of A and R when I was signing bands, and Bruce brought in the Rising. And I had seen him between now and then and that, but I hadn't talked to him. And I, you know, they're kind of they played a Rising Force. If you're like a VP and up in the Sony Club thing, and then <laughs> they kind of they usher you by Bruce, right? And so I go. He goes, Matt, how you doing? I go, Bruce, man, you know, I've been waiting seven years to thank you for those those phone calls and that other time at the Sony Studios. You like pulled my bosses aside. I go, that was the nicest thing in the world. He goes, Yeah, man, no problem. He goes, Come on. He goes, Don't worry about it. He goes, That's Jersey, so cool. <laughs> Jersey thing. Yeah. And then he goes, What do you think of the album? And I was like, It was really, he's so unassuming, you know, right, that he, right. um, that's but like, I, I, yeah, he, I, he listened great. to HTG a lot. He loved HTG. I mean, that's yeah. why he covered the Saints just like Firewood. Of course, he heard it on HTG. Yeah. There's so many things he heard. Yeah, listening to the you know the radio station. It really was like, it, it was a gem of a radio station. It was like really. It wasn't. It wasn't like a college station because it because it had more like quality control. <laughs> I would say, yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, because it was com- a commercial state, yeah. yeah but right? it was like you would hear stuff that you would never, ever, ever hear on like the New York stations or the Philly stations and stuff, and it was like so yeah. great, anyway. and it was so much fun to do. Yeah. Um, and now we got to ask you, Michael. All right, gotta- uh, the biggest disappointment I-, I mentioned before was the first time seeing Manson because yeah. I, I was I wasn't really a fan like in his heyday. You know, I, I kind of like passed it off as like a, a gimmick type of thing. But then when I actually listened to the music, I was like, this is damned good rock and roll. And, you know, yeah. I, I bought all the albums and everything. And then he, he they kind of he kind of went away for a while and then came back in like 2007. And uh, they were touring with Slayer and they headlined and cool stage set up and everything. But the, the energy just wasn't there. Um, best. And this is this might be shocking. Uh, Public Enemy in like 2000, probably the same year, actually, 2007, 2008. Saw them at uh, the Rams Head in Baltimore, and I could not believe how much energy they had. You know, this was like they had to be close to fifty at this point, and they just rocked the house and played and played and played for so long. They had a band on stage with them. You know, they did like had some metal guitar and some of the songs, and it was just awesome. Flavor Flavor was like jumping in the audience, shaking hands with yeah. everybody. Chuck D was just running back and forth. You know, it was great. You know, that is is amazing to me. And I love Public Enemy. You know, Chuck D, when I was doing a morning show in New York City on RxP, he did VOs for my uh, feature called uh, Matt Pinville Goes Old School. It was great, <laughs> like, Public Enemy voice. And I would like, and then I dropped in a little, this audio break where, uh, from Superfly where they go, how can you leave it all behind? Shag carpet, color TV, eight tracks. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, I would tell, like play a song and tell an old old school story, and Chuck was so cool. He uh, awesome. did that for me. Did you get to see Prophets of Rage while they were together? Yes, I have an interview done as well. Hey, can I just before we go, guys? Because I know you know I know you know we've been out for a while, but I want to talk and just tell you because you mentioned Public Enemy, you mentioned the Wonder stuff, Sue, and you know you asked about being on the side of the stage. One of the interesting sides of the stage experience for me were. For three of those bands, right? And you mentioned Nirvana. Now, Reading '92, which Ugh. is out there as a video, mm. I was there on the <laughs> side of the stage when Kurt Cobain came out in that hospital gown in the wheelchair, uh-huh. and I was also there. Public Enemy headlined, and the Wonder stuff. They all—they were the wow. three headliners. You want to know who else was on that bill, guys? Listen yeah. to who was played that year. It's—it's it's gonna make me cry, but go on. Yeah. All right. <laughs> On, on, the, on the night with the Wonder Stuff headlining Friday, it was Charlatans, Public, in, Public Image, uh, PJ Harvey, Mega City 4, Milltown Brothers, Red Cross, Cracker, Cup Shoot Cops. Uh, Saturday, Public Enemy, Ride, Manic Street Preachers, The Farm, Smashing Pumpkins, Rollins Band, Buffalo Tom Therapy, Suede, <laughs> right? And then on Sunday, Nirvana, Nick Cave, Mud Honey, Teenage oh, Fan Club, L7, Pavement, Screaming Trees, The Melvins, wow. Catherine Wheel. Eat uh, Scorpio Rising. Uh, that was, it, what, what a what a festival that was! And I was there for I, all three I of them. Would, I <laughs> often think about that. If I like could like if I could see any show in history, it would be the Reading Fest '92. You know, yeah, it would have to be was, all, all of the, the days, though. All of them. And you know what? Uh, there were other people that were on the bill that well, like weren't uh, like Beastie Boys played. Mm-hmm. They were on the bill, even though wow. they're not on the poster. Um, huh. uh, which I will never forget because I was on my way back to my hotel with, 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 with a really funny story. 
with someone. I'm like, and then we got, uh, we, we, somebody said, oh man, you were cuckpucked by the Beastie Boys. Oh. I was literally, yeah, I was uh, on my way back to my hotel uh, for, for a little rendezvous. <laughs> In England. I you got also, sabotaged. Weekend, yeah, yeah. And I also, I was sabotaged. And also that weekend I um, had lunch with John Peel. Oh, cool. That's got to be the Legendary, best. Legendary, where you know the Peel session. So before he died. So that was like an epic weekend in nice. my life, you know? That's great. But guys, I just want to thank you so much, you know, like for having me. Now. Of course. Like, thank you, man. This has been amazing. Uh, once again, the book is called All These Things That I've Done, My Insane, Improbable Rock Life. And it's available on Amazon, uh, Audible, right? Yeah. Is, it's, is uh, it you it's, reading uh, it? Yeah, it's Kindle. Um, yeah, it got re-released in paperback thanks to Judd Apatow because he said that it was, he loved the book. <laughs> oh, and awesome. the stories were amazing. His actual cool. words were, I fucking love the book. Nice, and, um, nice. Which was very nice of Judd. And, um, sure. and all of a sudden, like, you know, uh, Simon and Schuster put it back on the schedule. Oh, that's and great. I was blown away by that. And it's, you know, because Judd's obviously a lot of fans out there. Sure. But it was, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm glad that it's been re-released. And for people that haven't read it, I think if you love music and you love, you love sure. rock and roll, um, no matter what kind of rock and roll that happens to be, I think you'll you'll get something out of the book because awesome. it's really about a, my love affair with music. And great, that's, great. That's so what great. It's all and about. Uh, just where where can people find you on your social medias? Okay, on um on Facebook it's Matthew Pinfield. Okay, um, on Instagram it's also <laughs> Matthew Pinfield, and then on um, Twitter it's Matt Pinfield, which it should be at Matt Pinfield. Like, you okay. know what I mean? I wish I, I owned the Matt Pinfield domain for Somebody the other two. It, uh, it would make things because people got always go, Oh my god, I found you on here. I know right, you right. like and it was and it's very, very nice when you know when people discover that. So thank yeah. you for letting people know. I it's Sue, it's great catching up with you. Oh, I will see you when you come oh, out here sure. and tour when it finally clears. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you guys have to reach out to me. And yeah, you know, absolutely. Michael, anything absolutely. ever brings you out this maybe way. Maybe you, you can know? introduce us. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really <laughs> Yeah, fun. if you've never seen War on Women Live, they freaking rock. They're a great live. I would band. love that. That'd be awesome. No, we Get really, we really, really do. I, you, know, you know, this is one you know? thing that I, of which I am sure it is that we, that we rock live. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't wait to see you. You know what I mean? And I think I, I'm sure it'd be amazing. But guys, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me. Of course, me on Matt. Today. Thank you so much. This has been a great Thanks, episode. Matt. It was so great to catch Congratulations up. on five months. Yeah, thank you. And I'll keep on going, man. Awesome. You know, I'm just. Got to stay sober. Got to stay strong. Stay sane. Absolutely, and it's tough right everything. now. Yeah, the world's crazy enough out there. Some, you know what I mean. And the voice of reason is, is sure. so important, <laughs> it and is. it's all about helping others. Really but yeah, is. listen, guys, loved hanging with you today. Oh, thank you, thank so you so much, much man. We really appreciate it, man. All right, take, take care, care, guys. All the best. Bye, bye. Thank you.